So is Forrest, Forrest is running right now? He's, he's, run, he's yeah, running. Is he running? Is he running? Do, do you tell him, run, Forrest, run? Oh. <laughs> do you tell him, come on. No, I can't be the first person to give me that. I was like, come on. No, I can't be the first one. He, he, he hasn't, he actually hasn't seen uh, the movie. We, we, he's going to be like, Dad, he's going to be like, Dad, why did you name me this? Run, this is Forrest, terrible. run. Uh, his, his, his name is loosely, is. His name is very loosely based off a very close friend of mine, uh, Mark Forrester, was a combat control in the Air Force, killed um, on his first deployment to Afghanistan. Oh, wow. Mark Forrester, and I always liked the name Forrest. And, um, uh, you know, when, when it, we got to naming, uh, it just it just kind of worked. And so, uh, but no, I to, to your point, we will watch Forrest Gump, and I do think, uh, dude, dude, I wanted to laugh. Know. I wanted to laugh here, and you got to bring it right back to somebody who died. Well, what, well dude, we, we don't have to make everything I'm serious sorry. and depressing. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> Welcome to the aggressive life. Today, we're going to spend some time with the real American hero. Bo White. What a manly name, dude. That so is. manly. Bo White. I'm Bo. like, I got a loser name. <laughs> Brian Bo. <Holm>. Yeah, brother. <laughs> Bo White. Bo White. Even, even better, it was like Bo Black. Get a couple of the puh, the kuh. Anyway, Bo White joined the service in 2006 as an Air Force pararescueman, a special personnel recovery combat search and rescue force for the U.S. military. From there, he spent seven years as an Army Special Operations soldier. He spent his life on missions across the globe, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, and the Horn of Africa that he can't talk about because of their sensitive nature. But I'm going to get him to talk about it. I'm going to get him to I'm going to get I'm going to get the FBI on his rear end by the time I'm done. I'm going to I'm going to loosen him up. I'm going to butter him up. It's going to be great. Though we never did get any of it for the glory. If you hit the same nail long enough, you're going to get noticed and things will begin to break in your favor. 2021 after some contract services for the government, Bo and his wife Nicole opened an incredibly popular vineyard in northern Michigan, Dunebird. After a year of being home, Bo got a call to put him back on the front lines. Russia had ramped up its attacks on Ukraine. News reporters from around the world were there to report on it. Benjamin Hall was a war correspondent for Fox News on March 14th on assignment in Kiev, and the car he was traveling in was struck by a Russian bomb. Benjamin was the only one to survive. He was gravely injured. He was rushed to a Ukrainian hospital where it became obvious he needed immediate evacuation of the country. The United States military, they were unable to set foot in the country because doing so would be seen as an act of war. They needed a civilian humanitarian with experience to go into the war-torn country and bring Benjamin Hall out. You can probably guess where this is going. Bo. White. Bo jumped back into the war zone without a weapon to save the life of a man he'd never met, and he's kept going back ever since. Since 2022, he's made four trips back to Ukraine. He's proved himself time and time again on the battlefield. He's a true renaissance man. I can't wait to get into it with him. I think we're all going to be thankful. So let's give a warm welcome to the aggressive life, Bo White. <laughs> Brian, I don't. I don't think I've ever heard my name 
said quite so emphatically and aggressively. So, oh, it's amazing, Bo. Well, you know you have a manly (laughs) name. That's an amazing name, Bo White. (laughs) So, when in your life, Bo, did you start to get a a dream or a picture of doing these sort of adventures? What was your early aspirations as a kid for what the future of your life would look like? I've always, I think I've always been a, a, a dreamer and a visionary and someone that likes to, to, I always had a very strong imagination for things. Um, I don't know that I ever had any aspiration. I definitely did not have any aspirations to join the military or have any, um, inclination or, or dream of, of doing anything that I have done. Um, but I'm, I'm very much live in the moment, take opportunity, but at the same time, also willing to sort of dream and always have been that way. Even as a kid, you know, I was always building and, and creating and destroying. And, and like a lot of boys do, I think you, you know, you live in sort of a half reality and, and half playland. Where did you grow up? I grew up uh, in Troy, Ohio, a small town yeah. in, in uh, south southwestern Ohio, yeah, mm-hmm. near Dayton. We, we spent a lot of time up here in northern Michigan, and then in high school, we moved up here full-time. So uh, I, I kind of consider you know, both areas sort of my home my hometown, although you know, northern Michigan is, is definitely my home base. But Troy, Ohio is where I grew up. It's a small town. It's, it's, it's not a lot to do in terms of uh, you know, geographic uh, activities, but such a really just great people and small town atmosphere and just very grounded and um, place and great place to grow up. I loved it. Well, I think one of the things about when you say small town, what I think about is a place where there's woods, places to play, places to blow things up, light firecrackers, all that stuff. Was that part of your growing up? Absolutely. Yeah. No, we had, we had 40 acres. We were surrounded by farmland. And, uh, yeah, no, you all, you, you, you ran around in the woods and you built forts and you threw little M80s down, you know, uh, chipmunk holes and you, you know, you, you just, you just ran amok. It was a good time. I think, I think the, we, we spent more time outside than we did inside. I mean, we, back then we didn't have, you know, social media and screens like we do today. So right. that's, you know, probably a large factor in it too. But, uh, but no, we had a, we had a great time and small town is, is just that it's, it's everyone kind of knows each other or knows of each other and. You know, the community kind of helps raise you. Well, you put M80s down chipmunk holes. I put M80s in mailboxes. That was a difference between us. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, 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 knew, we knew the sheriffs very well, but that's one way to get to know the sheriff there too is, is, is to put M- M80s in, in mailboxes. It's, it's yeah. interesting that there's so many things that younger, younger males today are not dealing with that we used to deal with. Um, there's just not as many broken bones in ER visits. There's just not as many stitches. There, there just isn't. And there's also not as many kids who have memories of running from the police because they did something. They were actually outside. I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm not up for like a younger generation breaking rules and making the police chase them. But I, I just think there was a there was a level of activity in many younger males' lives in the. 80s, 70s, 60s, 50s, and before that, unfortunately, I don't know that it's as, as accessible to the uh, to the average kid because of screens and everything else. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I will say, I think 
I think people would look back and say, well, back when, and you know, oh, you grew up in a farm community and all that. Well, yeah, kind of, but, uh, you know, my dad did insurance and, and my mom, he was a stay at home mom. And, um, and so it wasn't like I, I lived on an actual working farm where, where this was, you know, what every kid did it, right. by and large was, but you know, we were neighborhood kids too. You know, I had friends in the neighborhoods and things too. So, you know, you're on your bikes, you're putting baseball cards in your spokes and you're, you're blowing <laughs> stuff up and you're, right. and you're just out, you're just out and you're, you're, I think the, I think the bottom line is you're outside and you're being creative and you're forced to live in this sort of a, a, a monotony that you don't even know is monotonous. Mm-hmm. You know, now my kids, and what do I do, dad? What do I do? And I'm like, I don't know, man, go outside and figure it out, you know? And they do. And it's cool because I'll, I'll kick them out. And, and after two or three hours, they're out there and they're building forts and they're digging in dirt and, and they're doing the things I did growing up. And so it's still possible um, for sure. But I definitely think, I think there's a lot of excuses now that people have, and some are good, you know, some aren't, but definitely it was easier, easier then. I'm 38. I'm not even that old. Like, right. Right. You know? Well, my, my mom didn't want me around. She wouldn't say that. It wasn't trying to, she was trying to form my character. She just didn't want me around. Get out of the house. You're not sitting around here. Get out of the house. Get out. Leave. Get out of the house. Come back at dinner time. And so you're outside. You, you got to figure out something to do. One of my favorite things to do was to capture bumblebees inside of a jar. You ever done this one? This is a great one. Yeah, you're nodding your head. What do I do next? Once you get a bumblebee inside of the jar, what's next? Oh, the the, the well, you're going to chase your sister around. Likely is one of them. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that would be a good one. No, I put it in the freezer. You put it in the freezer. You freeze it. You wait till it's just about frozen, but still alive. Then you get get some thread. And you put the thread. You tie a thread around its leg and make it about six feet. Now you have a bumblebee on leash. And you just go out and your friends with your bumblebee unleashed as he flies around, just freaking people out. It was great. It was awesome. Uh, I, I, I can't say I ever did a bumblebee unleashed, but we used to take, yeah, uh, lightning bugs and, you know, put them in jars and shake them up and then smear them and smash them and smear the, the, the you know, it, it just, I don't know, all sorts of stuff. That's a good one. I'll, I'll, have to, I'll tell my son about that one. Yeah, like absolutely. I'll tell you, the first time you do it, too, it's terrifying. That's what's great. Well, once you got the system down, it's just fun terrifying other people. But the first time, it's terrifying because you're you're tying yeah. that thing. You know, As far as you know, no one in the history of humanity has ever done this. You've just thought about it. And you're down there tying that little thread on that leg going, this guy, wait, is he going to wake up right now? Is he going to sting me? Because this would really hurt. <laughs> this would, and, then, and then once you get it on, you're going, okay, baby. Okay, baby. Come on back to life. You're like breathing the hot air. And he starts to move. Like, oh, this is going to be good. It's wonderful. That's hilarious. Anyway, tell me, tell me when you got a vision to be a para-rescueman. Yeah, we weren't, we're not really a military family. I mean, my, my, my grandfather and my great uncle served, but that's kind of back in you know, World War II when, when everybody kind of served. And so, uh, I was on a track to go actually to, to film school. I was big into photography and filmmaking. And so I did some, some film production work and the war was really kicking off and, you know, we invaded Afghanistan and then Iraq kicked off there in 2003. And I, I graduated high school, went off to college and uh, I felt like I was missing out. I felt like I wasn't contributing. I felt, um, I felt this, this word's I think abused today, but I felt privileged and I didn't, 
Um, I found, I, and, and, a, and a part of me, I think, in, in that felt very kind of unproven. And there was a large draw to, you know, I was, what, what was I, 18, 19 years old? Um, to just, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, this, this, it was just, it just was eating me up to sit in college and know and see the news that we were, we were in, we were at war. And here I am in college. And um, it's not for everybody by, by any stretch. Uh, but, but I had this very strong sense of, 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 I felt like a conviction about where I was and where I should be. And so I looked at different career tracks and different things and uh, ultimately settled at the time I was working as a paramedic and going to school and I liked the helping people aspect of it. And so I wanted to, to challenge myself in the greatest capacity possible. And I stumbled across the pararescue or PJ um, uh, career field in the Air Force. And so I kicked around Army Special Forces and the SEAL program and different things. And I liked the Air Force. Uh, it, was, it was small and I had a patient. I was a paramedic. And so I had a patient one day, he was an old, older gentleman and he'd served, it was an ambulance where he's on the cot and we're talking, going, taking him to the hospital. And he had served in all four branches of the military. And of course we talked and talked and I said, Hey, what was your favorite branch? And he said, Oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. I talked and talked and said, the Air Force, definitely the Air Force. That, that was, that sealed the deal for me. I joined the Air Force and, and I chose pararescue. Um, if there's no guarantee of it, but it guarantees you selection. So I, I went through selection and then kind of everything worked out from there. Um, and so I, I thoroughly enjoyed that, and uh, it was challenging. There's no doubt that was very challenging. But um, so you dropped out of school to do it. You dropped out of college to do it, or you went? No, I I, fin- I finished that one year. I finished the year I was doing, and then and then went and, and, and enlisted. And so I was in an art school too. So I was in you know a small art school in in Nashville called Watkins College of Art and Design. And, and needless to say, it's it's not a very um, the it does not align well right. With, the, the politics of an art school generally, not, 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 can't say this, you know, definitively, but generally don't align well with, with what was going on in, in Afghanistan and Iraq and our current, you know, political climate. And so anyway, <laughs> no, I, I had to drop out of school uh, and enlisted and I figured, you know, Hey, what's the worst that can happen? I go serve my country and I, I, I get out and go back to school or I die. And then I go to heaven. I mean, that's the two, hmm. the two scenarios on either which are that bad. So, Let's do it. That's really, that's something Profani just said there. Or I die and go to heaven. There's a lot of folks who believe in heaven and even a lot more that hope there's a heaven. But if that was truly a guiding and comforting belief for you changing career, it's pretty cool. So you're actually literally thinking, if I die, I go to heaven sooner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean... I've, I've had a strong faith and been fortunate enough to grow up and I'm, and I'm in a strong home. I mean, since then, I've had many challenges personally and professionally and very much spiritually um, that have, have, have kind of rocked me to my core and, and you know, made me really, really about reevaluate things. And I've, I've always I've come back to the same conclusion that I that I was raised with and that I was I've, I have a foundation in and that, you know, there is a God, there is a heaven, there is a Jesus who died on the cross for our sins you know, the Bible is living, breathing word of God, all these things, you know, I've, I've, but I've definitely had some moments where that's all been, been rocked and challenged, but, you know, I've had a great foundation from a young age. And I think I'm very, very thankful for that. Basically, what do I have to lose? Like, well, truly, what do I have to lose? And, um, mm. when you look at it, yeah, you're like, well, nothing really. I mean, you get to go see your maker sooner. That's not a bad deal. You talk about so. challenges. You mind sharing one of your challenges to faith? 
that you've had that kind of set you back or was a tough one for you? Yeah. Um, you know, getting into military special operations and, and kind of living that lifestyle that is a very, especially in the early mid two thousands and, and not so much as, as much now, but definitely then there was a very, very high operations tempo. And so you were deployed a lot, training a lot, and, and you were gone, you were just gone a lot. And I think I, one of my failure points is that I, you know, assumed I was somebody and I was somebody for a while. Um, I, I assumed I was still somebody that I had grown apart from. And I think, you know, I kind of come, became a little unrooted in my faith. I wasn't as diligent. I wasn't as disciplined. And then I was in, in this environment that was a very um, uh, high operations tempo and you're around a lot of guys and you're, you're gone a lot, you're training a lot. And part of that is you're out, you know, sometimes having a good time. And, you know, I, I think you can think you're stronger than you are, you know, but without that continued reinvestment in your faith and in your foundation and in, in the core of who you are, um, you can only be around it so much before you, you'll, you know, the cracks that you don't see developing will, will fracture. And that, that definitely happened, um, in my life. And as a result, you know, you know, failed multiple times, you know, in, 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 in ways that are, you know, not very Christian like, and then you got to scratch your head and go like, Oh man, that actually happened. Holy cow. Ooh. Um, yeah. So you have to really have a reckoning um, with yourself, and and that that bled over into my marriage, into our family, into into everything. And so ultimately, I ended up leaving the active duty military um, for that reason. I think it was the best choice for my family. It was the best choice for me, um, and it was a very hard decision because you know I another another you know eight eight or nine years I could have retired you know, and all that. And, 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 and I had a great time. It was a great yeah. job. It was a very satisfying job. So you're saying so. that you had to, you had to do things or you were seeing things in the military that were just very intense and that were rocking you to the core of your spiritual foundation. What, what are you saying here? Yeah. And I don't, I wouldn't say it's even a PTSD thing. I'm not saying even yeah. so much in terms of the, the missions we did. I mean, that is a part of, of what I think of some people do struggle with now that's not so much in my journey in my story, although, although it is in a lot of people's, um, I, I'm probably more meaning in the sense of you, I mean, uh, just for the, the easiest way to put it is you basically get to travel like a rock star. You can kind of act like a rock star and therefore you do rock star type, type things. And so, um, in that, that runs the, the full spectrum, right? And, and the military does not condone any of this, by the way, of course not. And, and, <laughs> Matter of fact, it's it's it speaks adamantly against any other lifestyle, you know. But um, you know, the level that I got to work at was also was also very professional. But like, let's be real, it's not perfect, and we're still humans. And so, um, e even at the very the very tip of the spear, so to speak, and the very top level of special operations, and the high, the most vetted, and the most psychologically tested, and the most of everything, you, you still have your, your human nature and you still have your, your, your pitfalls. And, and so, uh, that's, that's kind of what happened to me is, is just, you know, being around that environment. And, and for me, it wasn't like, I, you know, I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't doing, you know, cocaine off of a hooker or anything like that. Although that's probably in some people's stories. Um, that, that wasn't my story per se, but I think you look forward at, Again, that you have that reckoning of who you are, 
who you really yeah. are. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're like, ah, this isn't who I thought I was. And then you got to decide, okay, if I keep on this, where do I go? And I'm like, okay, this ends in, this ends in death, this ends in destruction, you know, in, in every way possible. Well, sorry to keep pushing here, but I'm going to keep pushing because oh, I, I find this Fine. interesting because I'm, of all the stories I talk with people in the military, this is, this is an angle I've not heard before. You said you're traveling like a rock star. Because you're at a certain level, the accommodations to get to the base or because or because it's so intense, guys are drawn to very extreme forms of blowing off steam or what what, what are you talking about there? Uh, all the above. Le, le, not so much traveling like a rock star. You know, you're still sometimes in a government vehicle, so that's not super sexy. But yeah, but uh, <laughs> but more more, I think, in the way that a group of guys like like us can can tend to carry themselves in a manner in a which in a confidence and in a belief in a in a in such a way that it is what I would call the epitome of a rock star attitude, which which kind of if you believe it, you sort of then start to live it. I mean, you don't have to have the money and the jets and the drugs, but I mean, you know, if you have if, if you have the attitude and you have, you know, the belief like, well, that, that can get you pretty dang far. If four or five of you walk into a bar or a restaurant and you, you, you just, we all carry ourselves in a certain manner of confidence, it gets noticed, especially now. There are very few people that walk with such confidence and such, uh, 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 gravitas and, and who, gravitas. Yeah, that's yeah. a great, that's a great way to put yeah. That's a, that's a great, great word to apply here. Gravitas. There's just such a gravitas about, about the, the and that kind of is all encompassing, and I yeah. like that word. It's a good word because it is. It is you're confident in who you are. You're confident in your skills. You know, you kind of you 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 know who's around you. You know you you know what you're supported by. You you just have this overall overwhelming um, uh, belief and confidence that just you know you yeah. exude. Um, there's just a gravitas that that a group of guys or even individuals, but as a group, you you carry yourself in that's that's very noticeable and definitely in today's culture because very few people do. Right. So you're so basically, you're, in some ways, you're like an elite clique amongst yourselves, but at the same time, you are elite because you're. I'm I'm not even talking about your military abilities. I just mean where many guys are beat down and have zero confidence and won't take a risk and won't put their nuts on the line and are afraid to whatever, 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 whatever. You're with guys who are like, no, man, here we go. Chop, chop. And you, you push yourself out there and yeah, yeah. it gets noticed and there's perks to that. I mean, I, I think all the time and I think just about any guy does who matures, I think, my gosh, if I had a chance with my current self-confidence which is what you're talking, a bunch of guys who are self-confident for the right reason. If I had a chance to go back and do high school and college right now, to make me 50% less attractive, it wouldn't matter. I could I could date anybody I wanted because I would know how to carry myself. I know what to talk. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think too, and I, I, I paint, I've sort of painted this maybe in a negative light because, because it's unfortunately used, <laughs> it's often used in a negative way, although it's often not. I mean, it's, it's the double-edged sword of what you get in when you get a group of guys that are designed to carry out sort of special operations missions and, and then you get them together and do they do other things when they're not doing special operations missions, what do they do? Uh, I want to be careful not to paint that in such yeah. a, such a dim light because to your point, like there is such a benefit to that. I, I don't think that can be, you know, uh, understated 
or, or overstated. I think I think it's 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 really important that that be said and recognized because uh, it has so much benefit to just be confident in who you are. Now, I'm not going to try to speak out of both sides of my mouth and say, well, I became someone that I didn't know. Like that's kind of too. That's more in a spiritual sense, right? There's there's kind of two two aspects to to kind of. To, to where my life sort of took a turn, you know, spiritually when I had to wake up and smell the roses. But, but just in terms of your, the sense of, of how you carry yourself, who you are yeah. and, and the things that you do. And we didn't go around and talk about what we did. I think, you know, there are people that do, um, and none of the guys or groups that I was in, uh, most of them were actually very, very humble. Um, you know, that just, if anything adds to your, your gravitas, your, 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 your the way you carry yourself, you know, well, it's basically what what I'm hearing you say is you were you were in an, in an elite clique. You carried yourself that was appropriate because you were elite, but you were really sticking together. You're, and maybe you're you personally uh, straying away from your from your spiritual roots. You started to be a bit prideful and soak that stuff up, even though you carried yourself with humility, just probably internally or start to go and, Oh man, I don't, I don't, I'm come a different person. And you know, we you know the Bible says God exalts the humble and brings down the prideful. So your faith started to come down. And then fortunately, uh, fortunately there must've been a moment of repentance there for you to come back and into a more joyful relationship with Christ. Does, how does that sound? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think N- nothing's ever like black and white and super clear cut. And there's a lot of, you know, gray area, I think <laughs> gray area in our faith. There's no really gray in faith, but, but sure there I is. Think there's gray in faith. Not, not in terms of the Bible and its truths. I should be clarify that there's no gray. And in, in I think that I think a lot of people like to open things up for interpretation that are probably not. That being said, yes, there's probably gray in faith. And, and my, my, I guess I thought about this the other day, actually. I have, a, I have a guy in our small group that's a great, great, great guy, but he's a very, he's very intellectual and he loves Marty Solomon and, and Bama. We do Bama and, you know, uh, and, and it's a very intellectual podcast and we go through the Bible step it's by step. I'm like, I love them. It's obviously intellectual because I've never heard of it. You've mentioned names. I have no idea. So, but keep going. Go ahead. For, for simple tips yeah, like anyway. me, go ahead. Keep going. The point is he gets and hears his faith grows the most in ways that, are very intellectual and and scriptural and all these things. Listen, I've got a Bible that's like practically pulverized and I've written in every page and I've like, like in, in all this. I literally probably could not quote you completely a whole verse right now. I don't have that type of brain structure to, to do that. Now, does that make me a less of a Christian or not? No, no. God speaks to me in, in different ways. I have a, a different visceral experience spiritually and emotionally and, and physically with with my maker than, than say he does when he gets into reading these things, you know, the other guy, another friend of mine, he can't stand worship music. He cannot stand praise and worship. Like he's just such an intellectual that he just, he just, I don't know what it is. He doesn't like it. God doesn't speak to him that way. And so I guess there's the, the gray and maybe that we just, and that's not gray. That's just, we get spoken to in different ways and different things. I think it's easy for us to judge definitely culturally people who, who say, um, well, if you're not reading your Bible every day, and I'm out of, maybe, maybe you disagree with this. If you're not reading your Bible every day and in the word every single day, your faith will suffer and all that. And, and you're going to be, you know, you run the risk of, of falling off the wagon, which I think has a lot of truth to it. Now where I'll, where I'll qualify this is I know people that read the Bible every day, but they're reading words in a book. They're not applying it to their life and taking it and, and make applying it 
it's still a spiritual journey. It's not a relational journey. And I say, well, w- my argument is like, well, I- I'm all a fan of reading the Bible. Don't get me wrong. Please don't get me wrong. Um, but I think there's other ways that we can spend time with God and spend time on our relationship with, with Christ and, and growing in that, that aren't always uh, 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 just reading the Bible. And I think, I think my pet peeve a little bit with some of the church at times is like, that is the end all be all. Right. If you're not doing that, right. I think that's the foundation. I, I won't argue that that is a foundation, but you know, what happened, I guess the argument is I think about this, maybe, what did people do before they had the Bible? What did they do when they couldn't read? Could they not have a faith? Yeah, right, right. Yeah, God never talked to anybody. No one could honor God before the Gutenberg came along with the printing press? What? No. Well, what? It, and if, I mean, come on, let's be real. The last really 150 years is when people, everyone could start to read and we printed in mass. And right. like before that, it was – so I just – I look at it and I look at faith and I look at this journey and I look at spirituality and, and how much of a relationship it's meant to be. And I do feel like there are people that are kind of missing the boat on right. – on that. And like, I have, I have struggled with my faith in some of the, the, the worst ways, you know, and I've questioned it. I've, but I've always come back to it. I've always come back to the truths that are in it. And I'm very, very thankful for that. And, and I kind of wish the same for other people. Um, you know, and the challenges that I've had both physically and going through these difficult selection processes and then going on missions overseas and then going, you know, it, it has all, I mean, it's all it's all interwoven. We can't we can't separate. You know, this is a this is a personal challenge. This is a professional challenge. This is a spiritual challenge. Challenges they 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 just take over our life. When yeah. in any if they're in any one of those compartments, they consume us. And and so I think I think that's where having the spiritual foundation is so important. You know, but I think that's also part of the the, the thing that gets that gets screwed up, you know, and you question it, but you got to work through it and you got to surround yourself with people that speak truth in your life. And you do have to read the word. You do have to go to church and all these things are built, designed to help support us through different ways that we need. And I lacked some of those, some of those different elements in my time in the military early on. And then it showed and I, I broke. And so I had to reintroduce all those things in my life, which is part of the reason I went off active duty. Um, it just was, it was just going to, I saw the writing on the wall. It's going to destroy my family. And, you know, I would say the, the, the year after I got off active duty in 2017, January, 2017, I'll bet I knew about half a dozen teammates and friends of mine that all got divorced. Hmm. I mean, it just was like, boom, everything's just kind of like hit the fan. Yeah. And, um, I could see that coming, you know, for us. And, and so, uh, it was time, it was time to go. Um, uh, well, I, th- I think your mind is in the right place. It's anytime you're going to start talking about the way Christians misuse spiritual disciplines, I'll I'll be all on board on that. And for our listeners out there, this is why it's called the aggressive life. It's not called the spiritual thought life. It's not called the spirituality life. Let me say something real clear. This is going to really bother some of you, but I'm going to say it anyway. Reading the Bible, reading the Bible does not make you faithful. Let me say it. Reading the Bible does not make you faithful. You read the Bible so hopefully you can be faithful. Just reading the Bible to make you faithful? Does that mean like anytime anybody reads any book, they're faithful? No, they're just reading the book. 
reading a book. I think about my past with you. I, I grew up with people when I first came to faith what had had all the Bibles and the highlighted pages and dog-eared. So I got my first Bible and I said, okay, the first week of this thing, I know I got to do. I've got to crinkle all these pages. I got to start highlighting shit in here. I got to start, I got to start doing stuff. So people go, oh, wow, that guy's really spiritual. <laughs> stupid, ridiculous, stupid, ridiculous. Let me look like I'm actually reading the Bible. I actually was, but the thing is, it's it's not what we're learning, it's what we're doing, right? It's it's not the classic spiritual discipline that we're being faithful in. We're doing those things, so hopefully they'll cause us to be physically faithful in the way that God wants us to be faithful. That's what I'm hearing. That's probably for Absolutely. you. That's probably for you why the the whole disconnect about the Bible, because you, you've been in the real thick of things. You've been in real difficult, sticky situations. So you probably could see through that spiritual lie, that spiritual haze easier than the next person, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think traveling the world, seeing more, seeing absolutely the worst parts of humanity. I mean, you want to see, you want to see something to rock your world. Watch ISIS's uncensored uh, videos of beheadings. I mean, you know, that's the stuff we got to see and then, and then, and go on targets and see the things that they've done and willing to do. I mean, you want to see the worst part of humanity. You'll, you'll question, you'll question a lot real quickly. And, and part of that is the faith. Part of that is going, God, why would you possibly allow this to happen? I mean, you can say that if, if your kid gets cancer and my kid did get cancer and you can say, God, why would you do this to an innocent child? But, you know, we can wrestle with that. But then you go overseas and you can see, I'm talking massive, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people and thousands of people. I mean, I mean, you look back at Hitler, look back at our history just in general. And you're like, how does this, it's, it's just such a different feeling hearing it hearing it, reading about it in a book, and then physically seeing it in person. Yeah. It, it is just such a different experience. And and it has rocked me to my core and made me question things and ask questions and, and seek answers. Um and, and I would consider myself a very stable, reasonable person. I mean my my psychological tests all say that, you know, and I do feel that. But on a spiritual level, I, I sit there and I still scratch my head and I'm like, God, like, what the heck, man? That's insane. That's crazy. Why? Why would, why would you do that? How did you handle, how, how did you handle when your uh, four-year-old son, Forrest, came down with that rare yeah. leukemia? Was it, was it immediately you were leaning to God or was it immediately questioning God? Um, well, spoiler alert, at the end, he's done, he's doing pretty well, right? Right now? Yeah. He is. Yep. His yeah. name's Forrest. He's nine years old now. He was diagnosed with T-cell ALL leukemia at four years old. Um, I was overseas. I was um, yeah. over working, working on a, a government contract in Afghanistan. And um, Nicole was home in Montana visiting family at Christmas and uh, went to the ER for what she thought was maybe just a cold and turned out they did a chest x-ray and found the mass and, mm. and it turned out to be cancer. So I rushed home and, uh, you know, I had prayed for, I, I, at that point, I had kind of knew I was in a, a dark and, and calloused place. And I had prayed for probably two to two and a half years that God would break me. And I said, you know, God, I need you to break me, man. Like, come on. You know, it was a sincere prayer. And I always felt like kind of angry at God for like not hearing me, not answering me. And I imagined a lot of ways that he could do it. You know, I imagined, you know, a severe injury, a, a death of a family member or, 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 I figured, and I honestly figured, I mean, all the stuff I was doing at the time, I figured I was going to be killed. I mean, that's just one of the realities of, oh, one of these days I'm going to go out on target and just get schwacked, you know? That's that's just the, the reality of it. I had a lot of 
a lot of teammates and friends that, um, you know, didn't make it or were severely injured. And I figured, well, I'm going to be next. This is going to be the way, this is how it's going to go down. And I prayed and prayed and prayed this prayer. And I never dreamed, never, ever dreamed that God would use my child as a way to break me. And so there was, there was a sense of, of some guilt that I felt over, you know, Forrest getting cancer, that it was God's way to wake me up. And I'm the one sort of at fault for, for that. I mean, I know we can sit and walk through that and it's not my fault. That's, it isn't, but you know, there's still a part of me that's like, man, that's how, that's what it took for God to get a hold of me. Uh, it was a hellacious journey. It was also at the same time though, at one of the most beautiful times in our lives. And I don't know how to fully explain that, except you're so raw and you're so barren and you're so broken that you, you're in this almost euphoric space. Uh, and it's a choice, a choice to get there. You have to allow yourself the brokenness and, and, and the being prostrate and the crying out. And you have to allow yourself these things. You, you still a choice, but once you're there, I tell you, it's, it was the most, uh, surreal and beautiful experience of our, of our lives. We've often, my wife and I've often talked about like, man, like, what do we take? What do we do to get back there? You know, like you can't live in this, this complete broken spot all the time where you just literally flat out broken. Uh, I mean, we try to, we want to, but, and so we're always like a little scared to say that prayer. Like, Hey God, right. could you kind of like break us? Cause then you're like dreading it. You're like, Oh, it's going to happen. We're going to like, you know, I don't know, lose it all, or we're going to, something's going to die or whatever. And I think, I think that's a, a fatalistic way of looking at it because God can also give us blessings and overwhelm us with blessings. And, you know, he's done that for us as well, you know, and not, not so much like, you know, we won the lottery or, or anything, but we're surrounded by family and we've, we've, we've been blessed in so many ways and with Forrest's health. And so there are so many blessings that we've had that he has rewarded us with that I think we often don't wake up and see. Right as as that proof you know we need the brokenness the brokenness works better unfortunately than some of the blessings but yeah. you know he's in all of them and unfortunately it took i think for his cancer and to 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 really break me um right. and bring me to my knees and um man it was a it was a dark but beautiful space so that's a that's a interesting tie back to that the bible conversation that we just had when you talked about that I thought about Philippians 129, which says unto you, it's been granted not just to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake, to suffer. And that's why, that's why I read the Bible. I read the Bible because I read it. I go, okay, suffering is coming around. It's going to come around. I'm so sorry, everybody. Your worst days are likely ahead of you, your worst days. And it's the scriptures that prepare me for those. Where I go like, okay, suffering is part yeah. of the deal. And many people I see who are deconstructing their faith, no, they didn't understand the truth. The truth was your life was going to be freaking hard. Sorry. It's not going to yeah. be Bible verses and Bible screensavers and unicorns, you know, blowing the gift of tongues up your butthole. It's going to be, it's going to be hard. Yeah. And the scriptures prepare us for that. And so you were prepared for it. That's good stuff. I, I love it. And, and was there a, um, well, he's, he's Forrest as well right now. He's done really, really well. Yep. Uh, get, yep. Tell us something else positive about that. We're, we want to celebrate that for, with you for a moment. 
Yeah, no, I think I think uh, yeah, he's he's nine years old now. He's he's cancer free. He's been cancer free. I think you always sort of sort of live in this small fear of it'll, it'll come back because you know I never knew much about you know kids and cancer. Obviously, and you see right. a kid that's bald, you go, oh, that's so sad, you know. But right. like, ah, whatever, you know. I, we we there was so much a part of that journey we learned. One was separating from the people who say you're friends to the ones who actually are and the doers from the from the talkers that's a huge one i mean there are people that just did didn't ask but just did it and they were the most unlikely ones and i was like who are you i don't even hardly know you and they're just doing things for us because i hate when people would say we're like well call me if you need anything let me know what you need like no one's ever going to let you know what they need when they're in a time of crisis like they're having a crisis and so you know that's one thing we learned of, of many many things you know He's doing well. The, the cancer, the, the cancer right. journey. I, I don't know how to sum it up. I think the cancer journey feels harder in some ways um, to watch someone in pain um, than it is to uh, uh, have the pain yourself. You go and you get to know these families and the other uh, the other kids who have other cancers in these in these uh, in these different in these hospitals, and then you know like they die, you know, they, they don't, they don't make it. And right. so you got to explain right. to your right. then five-year-old or six-year-old, mm. like, Hey, where's my friend? And you got to uh. go, Hey man, um, mm. he didn't, he didn't make it, you know? And so and that's, that, it, that, uh, like that, that'll, that'll kill you. Yeah. Um, that, that journey, especially I think was, 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 one thing that was revealed to me in that way, that, that it was so much harder to watch someone in pain, watch my son in pain, watch, you know, my wife in pain, watch these other kids in pain. Um, I was just the whole time, like, God, dude, just like, all you had to do is take me away. Like all you had to do is make, give me the pain. Uh, Cause it was so much worse to watch it than it was to be in it just to, 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 to have it myself. Um, but it was just so humbling. And um, yeah, I think, I think I'm still learning yeah. From that whole experience, I think I'm still taking pieces of that and and learning from it. I've come to the place where I enjoy funerals, and I know that sounds that's really sick sounding, and I'm not saying funerals aren't are exciting and a lot of them are boring, but I'm just saying that there's so much distraction in our world and so much ethereal BS and so much posturing and so much, so many goals and aspirations that are ridiculous and all that, that when you go to a funeral, you go like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. right. Death is coming. The death rate's hovering right around a hundred percent. And it just, I find for about a half hour, all the stuff is squeegeed out of me and I get a clear picture of what's really important in life. What's really what really matters? Do you think for Forrest? Uh, do you think that that was good for him to see a level of death and have that put into him at an early age, or do you think it did has done more emotional harm to him than good? Because I, I could make the argument that most of us need to be around more death, so we'll just lighten up and we'll stop taking everything so seriously. You know, uh, hugely, hugely. We're the only. I think we're the only culture in the in the world that that values life so much, and I think very much overvalue life. And so, to answer your question about Forrest, yes, I think it was healthy for him. I think I think there's a way for us to, as parents, help him internalize that and work through it in a healthy way, way in a in a in a, in a biblical way. Um, but definitely, and kids are so resilient. Kids are so amazing at understanding. I think we highly underestimate 
kids' ability to process things and uh, both both physically, spiritually, emotionally. I think I think we just we just we we really underestimate their ability to process um, like death and certain these certain kind of like big life events. I think kids are really 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 good at that. Now they also want to turn around and play with Legos, but but man, we we they're just so resilient. They're so amazing, and they can teach us so much about that. But but just as a whole, I think culturally, you know, traveling the world. I mean. I can say confidently in my experiences, we value the Western world values life far more than anybody else. And, and, and it's to your point, you know, death rates hundred percent, we still die. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we probably live, live some of the long longest, you know, but in my travels around Africa and other places, I mean, they, they mourn their losses and it's a horrible event, but they go, ah, yeah, he died. I mean, it's the wildest experience to be like, hey, you know, come back and for a trip and say, hey, where's so and where's so and so, the interpreter or this guy or that guy or like, uh, oh, he got he got uh, he got sick and died. You're like, excuse me, like the guy died. Or or when we when some of our our partner forces would get killed. I mean, again, sad and terrible thing, and it's a big sacrifice for their country. But you know, yep, they died. I mean, it just, it's such a wild experience to see people. I mean, I'm not talking just an individual, but like a a culture so matter of fact about death. Uh, It just, it, it makes you like, wow, we really do think this, our lives are so important. Right. You know, the important thing is not our lives. The important thing is, is is our relationships, is our faith, is our, all these other things. I mean, you know, as a paramedic at a very young age, I had a a number of people die on me, both young and old. And man, I tell you, like it, like as an 18 or 19 year old, have someone dying, dying in your arms, um, is, is a humbling experience, but you know, none of them ever talk. (laughs) No one ever brought up how much money they made. No one ever brought up, uh, uh, the cars they had, the homes they had, the, the, it, none of that, because none of that matters. None of it mattered. I mean, they're literally struggling to breathe. Yeah, you know, and 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 they'd give anything to to have more air, you know, for for a few more heartbeats. But yeah. you know, we're all human. We're all going to die. Well, Bo, I'm like. This has been a very, it's been an awesome discussion. And we, we dumped into the deep end early on with a bunch of stuff. And it was great. All of it's great. And we didn't get to like the traditional things you want to hit up front. In fact, we're not going to get it to at all. I wanted to hit Benjamin Hall, the war correspondent, your process yeah. and the rescue. That, that, that didn't touch that. Wanted to get into your, your, your winery. How, how you chose oh. wine, what's going on with the wine, all that. They're, 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 gosh, we just had like two brothers having deep spiritual conversation, which is great. I never know what I'm going to get when, when I have somebody on. So you want sure. to go there, and I was excited to go there. But before we are done, is there anything that we haven't talked about that for sure you want to talk about? I, I, would, I would hope that people – don't subscribe to the idea that they have to be in this certain, uh, a certain level of education and be this certain spiritual level or, or be this certain personality type or be these things to, to kind of take action. I think I, I've gotten hung up on that or, or uh, it's, it's prevented me from kind of moving forward and doing things. And I think culturally, you either have to have a degree in something. Some things you do, obviously, if you're a doctor, you need to 
go to medical school, if you're a lawyer, all that. Of course, there's there's degrees and certificates and licenses you need. However, you know, for a lot of people, a lot of things, you don't. You don't need you don't need you know this this magic. You just need the willingness to do and go and try and be and learn and fail and get up again and do it again. I, I just don't want people to subscribe to the to the fact that they they need to be something special right. to to do great things. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the danger with having someone like you on the podcast is you have this sort of prototypical experience and resume that people would love to have. Oh, I'd love to jump out of plane. I'd love to be in a special force. I would have would love to like been on a rescue mission. All that's great, 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 great. And good for you. And I know it's come with a lot of pain and a lot of difficulty. I'm just talking about the a lot of guys yeah. are like, I that would be great if I had that sort of meaning and experience. But the truth is <laughs> the aggressive life is about doing the simple and difficult thing that's right before you. Simple and difficult right before you, whether it's changing your kid's diaper, going for another job interview, uh, whatever it is, it's the simple and, and many of us are unwilling to do the simple and difficult thing that sets us up for the next level. You've modeled that well for us. You've also modeled what it's like to be a, a man with a, uh, with a deeper life, uh, a deeper way to reflect on things and who's been kicked and had some difficult times and you're still standing. So man, I, I wish we lived closer. We'd be, we'd be friends. We would. Sure. So thanks. Hey, so, yeah. give, but give us a shout out. One, give us an advertisement for your wine. We got, we got to get a buzz oh, off shoot. your wine. Go ahead. What is <laughs> okay. it? Yeah. So Dunebird Winery is a, we're a small little winery here in Northern Michigan, Leelanau County. We, my wife and I started it. Uh, that's a whole another story. I won't get into it, of course, but um, yeah, you know, our, the basis of the winery was, was is centered around the fact that, you know, People, what, what relationships, right? It's, it's in conversation. It's, it's, let's get the people together to talk. Let's, let's build relationships. And so what do people generally do when they're talking and hanging out and having conversations? They're drinking wine or they're drinking coffee. I'm not a wine drinker. So I, I, we have a full espresso bar. So we do coffee as well, but uh, wine and coffee. And so it's, it's, they're great. It, that's our passion and our heart here at Dunebird was to create a space and a place. And Hey, listen, we're like, there are better looking wineries. Like there's more beautiful vineyards and there's more beautiful places by all means. Are we're, we're a little couple barns in a field. It's like a joke kind of, but, but you know, people feel and see the difference in who we are because we do value the relationships, both of our customers, of our staff and in our community. It's really, really important. And so we just happen to sell wine and coffee and that's great. And so uh, that's the basis of Dunebury Winery is, is the relationships uh, in our lives and the people around us and, and focusing on those. So you can check it out online. Yeah. Uh, Google Dunebury Winery. And um, yeah, we're here in Northport, uh, Michigan up in Leonard County. And we'll, we can ship wine. I think it's like 44 states or something right now. So check us out. Fantastic. Thanks for being generous of your time. Hey, everybody, let's learn from this. Let's keep soldiering through with our difficulty, our pain points. Let's keep doing the simple things. Let's be aggressive. And we'll see you next week on The Aggressive Life. Thanks for joining us on this journey toward aggressive living. Find more resources, articles, past episodes, and live events over at bryantome.com. Pre-orders for my new books, a repackaged edition of The Five Marks of a Man, and a brand new Five Marks of a Man tactical guide are open right now on Amazon. 
If you haven't yet, leave this podcast a rating and review. It really helps get the show in front of new listeners. And if you want to connect, find me on Instagram at Brian Tome. The Aggressive Life is a production of Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio.